hello and welcome to Addiction Makes 3, the podcast hosted by me, Amanda Lockyer, and we are having the conversation of what this looks like from the other side and the impacts on families and spouses. Welcome, Gary, to Addiction Makes 3, the podcast. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you for having me on. It's been great having chats and uh, you know getting to know you over the last, I don't know, what, year or so now. And I very much look forward to being a part of Addiction Makes 3. Thank you. And we have had lots of good chats. And I think interesting to note, we actually do live in the same city. True. That's true. So we could do this in person one time. Absolutely. I think I think that would uh, that would go down well. We'd have to find a nice location to do it, but uh, I'd be down for that. Amazing. So we have done quite a few Instagram live chats um, over the past year, and I think for our audience that are maybe just tuning in now on the podcast, I thought it would be great to do a bit of an introduction. Um, if you don't mind, and who is Gary, what's your story, and how did you come to be here now? Well, it's, uh, I mean, how long have you got? How long does the <laughs> podcast go for? This could, this could go all day, but um, look, I, I'm a, uh, what I like to call an executive life strategist, uh, but I really am a mental strength and performance coach, so I work with you know, I work with high performers, but I work with anybody looking to overcome obstacles in their life, um, wanting to optimize their personal and professional lives. Uh, and usually uh, they come across me when they've hit some sort of hurdle or struggle or something's not going to plan. And, uh, you know, that that's a great, uh, you know, great thing that, that I do. I, I love doing that. It's, it's fantastic. But I didn't just arrive here um, because I love the uh, love the business or I love the work. Um, I landed here because I needed to, to be honest. I, I was once the the person who will ha- would have done um, with benefiting from my coaching. And, uh, you know, I, I, I suppose the backstory is I, I spent 18 years with the federal police. Uh, I used to run the prime minister's protection detail. I also ran the commissioner's office over that period of time. And um, the back end of that 18-year career, the last 10 years of that, I was battling a major depressive disorder and a gambling addiction. And uh, the strange thing is that, you know, this was the most successful part of my career. Uh, To everybody looking inwards from the outside, this would have been the most successful part of my life. Uh, I was very good at masking things, but, you know, ultimately that, that addiction and that, that depression uh, led to a, you know, a a cost of $2 million from the gambling. Uh, It also, led me to lose my job eventually and and my reputation. And it had me on the, you know, considering the value of my own life. And and in reality, what I do now was born out of necessity. Uh, If I didn't start to seek support, if I didn't start to go down the formal and informal education paths and, and learning everything I could from, you know, the world of neuroscience, of psychology, of peak performance, of habit formation, of addiction, of mental health, if I didn't learn those things, if I didn't live them, and if I didn't, uh, if I didn't work hard at that process, then I may well not be here today. And so, you know, I, I discovered a, 
you know, a love for that. I, I discovered a, a passion for learning and understanding more. I, I firmly believe that if I can understand it, then I can fix it. And and I, I went uh, all in on trying to understand it. I was fortunate enough that that worked for me. And, and over the last five years, I've uh, been fortunate enough to also work with a lot of people who, who that has helped, um, you know, in all walks of life all over the world. And uh, that's probably the Cook's Tour of how I arrived on this podcast today. Thank you. And I think it's, you know, we've got a similar story, but on opposite sides. And that's obviously how I came to be here too, you know, I by necessity. Um, and living through it, needing better tools, needing a better way, and just investing all that time and energy through that formal and informal learning for myself, and then thought this could really help others as well. So, and that's amazing. And I think you've got a unique perspective to offer here and the people that are listening to give insight to the other side of the coin even though this is not what you specialize in and you support people you know in many walks of life some people are going to struggle with addiction and you have struggled with gambling in the past and I think there's great insight that we can share to our different audiences on what the other side looks like. Yeah, I, I think there is a benefit. You know, I, I remember when I was, um, you know, the, the depths of my pain. It, 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 Well, first of all, it takes a long time for you to recognize it yourself. But secondly, all you feel is your own pain. And, and it's, it is very difficult to, uh, to appreciate and understand uh, the other people in your life that you're hurting. I mean, you, you can barely come to terms with the fact that you're hurting yourself, let alone um, accept that other people are going through their own levels of pain or their own levels of loss or, you know, their, their own connection issues. And, you know, I, I learned a lot along that process that, uh, you know, I was struggling, but at the same time, um, you know, my partner was struggling, my parents were struggling. There are other people involved. And and I have I have come to learn, I do work with a lot of people with addiction, but, you know, it's it's... It's not something that's overly conscious that they're intending to hurt people, but it's also something that once we work together and and provide a little bit of understanding, it can sometimes assist in a relationship and and it can assist on both sides to you know to have a little bit of understanding about how the other party is um, is behaving and why can can often add just a little bit of empathy, perhaps enough empathy. Uh, that does allow a, a process to, to go through where both parties can heal uh, from the hurt or from the suffering that they're going through. Uh, it, it's difficult, um, but it's certainly a lot better if both parties understand that the other one is suffering and is struggling and often isn't being intentionally that way um, or certainly not consciously that way. But, um, you know, there are there are things that we can all do better to make sure that we come through as best as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up an interesting point, of course. When do you think that you had that perspective or when did that penny drop for you in terms of this has actually caused pain to people that maybe I didn't realise and people, my loved ones, 
when did that penny drop for you? Was it when you started getting support before that? I think that's really interesting that a lot of people would like to know, like when would there be some acknowledgement? When it was too late is the real answer. Uh, you know, I, I the the, uh, my, the my partner of the time, um, uh, her and I have since separated a, a number of years ago. But I realised that before we'd separated, but it had gone too far for for anything to be um, to be repaired. Not just from my side, but you know, we we had relationship issues as well as you know a lot of people may if if they're in these circumstances, but. It, it took a long while to really appreciate what that looks like, and you know it's it's very it's very difficult because a lot of the times there are things that we might say or think that are true, mm. but we find it hard to believe them. And so, you know, probably early on, I would have acknowledged or said out loud how much pain I've caused to my loved ones, but you know that statement was probably true or was true. But I still wasn't capable of believing that statement. And so I kept either, you know, going down the destructive path that I was on or when I was trying to work on my own solutions was completely focused on my own solutions and not understanding that there was, you know, other other parts to play in in, in the um in the connection and the relationships. And and so yeah, look, it took me too long before I figured out I had a problem. It took me too long until I figured out that the other people in my life are also going through um, their own recovery um, and, and their own version of it. And I think, unfortunately, that's probably the case in most people's circumstances where you get beyond a point of no return. And yeah. uh, and that's why we see, you know, relationships break down um, ir- irreparably and, uh, and sometimes some, sometimes some of the most damaging parts of it happen after uh, the addictive recovery has started because we just go far too long without really appreciating what the other is going through. Yes, and I think that's that's the cost, right? Yeah, it is the I mean, price it, we pay. Yeah, and and. and you know, depending how long it takes for you to recognize it, the cost just gets bigger. I mean, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's um, societal, whether it's in your community, whether it's in your mental health, mm. uh, the longer it takes, uh, the worse the outcome um, and I think, or, or, the, or the bigger trouble you're going to have to fight your way back from. Yeah, and I think it is all of those things. And I look at it as the collateral damage of addiction. It is you know, once you realize, and please correct me if I'm wrong, once you realize for yourself that you have a struggle in something, the collateral damage of the people around you, not, you know, to yourself as well, your own career, family, relationships, connections, physical health, mental health, finances, it is also the collateral damage to your loved ones, their physical health, their mental health, their career, their finances, their relationship, their, you know, community and connections. It is so far reaching. And I 
like you said, sometimes it has gone too far to repair. And I think however we can help people seek support and change earlier, and I speak about it as kind of radical acceptance, if you can radically turn a switch on in your mind that radically accepts the situation for what it is not condoning or anything like that just radically see it for what it is and then think what can I do here yeah and look it's been my experience is that both the person who has an addiction and the person who may well be caring for them or the other party of that relationship um it's been my experience that both sides take far too long to recognize there's an issue. And 100%. It, from the time that they recognize there's an issue, it takes far too long for them to act on that issue. Um, and, and then usually the emotions are so high when they decide to act that it's very difficult to act uh, in a way that is supportive for, for either side. And so, you know, if it, if it takes you, you know, six months to recognize there's a problem there was probably an issue for a year or two years yeah, before and let's that. just call it years I, I mean you tell me no one comes to me really I'd have to really go deep into my mental hard drive to find someone that has come to me that has said this has just become an issue for me this year like well I reckon it has I, been I, my years. battle was 10 years yeah it's and years. the first seven of that I wouldn't have known it. No. Uh, the next two and a half of that, I wouldn't have known how to describe it. And then maybe the last six months was where you actually start to, you know, to do something about it. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that have gone into a 10-year process that you feel like you've had an awakening. But, but in reality, there's, you know, there, there is 10 years of scars and damage and you know, and that takes place on both sides. I mean, if if you if you're talking to people who are supporting somebody with an addiction, um, th- there's no doubt in my mind that at some stage they will be able to identify that months or years earlier they thought something might have been up, but just wasn't sure what it was, and they didn't want to say anything, and I didn't want to hurt somebody, I didn't want to have a confrontation, and um, you know, and and you know, it's it's great in hindsight, and there's not much you can do with it. Um, apart from, you know, make the best decision that you can make right now um, and not prolong the pain. Yeah. And I think as well, you know, if you were to go from when it did actually start to become a problem on either side to when it was at the like peak of being in crisis, you know, like if that was day one, day two, it'd be so obvious. But you know, in my experience and when I speak to people, it is a slow burn over time. It is these small things. And when you look back with the gift of hindsight that, you know, there were a few waving red flags that are like, hey, this is something's going on here. But the slow burn over time in combination with this, this can't be happening to me, surely not, in combination with we're both in our own level of denial about this as a thing and 
to have to address something is uncomfortable. Like you said, we put it off because it's hard. So we don't want to have the uncomfortable conversation. And that could be a relationship struggle anyway to talk about things that are a bit tricky or a bit hard. But we don't want to bring it up because we, you know, we don't want to upset people and we don't want to have the hard conversations. Well, the, the first reason we don't talk about it is because we don't want to believe that it's true. Mm-hmm. Right, so we, we will try and look for valid reasons why the behavior is existing um, around the issue, right? And obviously, we're talking about addiction here, so we will want to use things like, well, that's just you know, that's just them because they're the life of the party, and that you know, they only drink on on weekends, or they only you know get drunk at, at certain times, and then all of a sudden, what was once Friday and Saturday night becomes Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you're like, yeah, it's still just the weekend, you know, that's fine. And then all of a sudden it's Thursday, Friday. So, well, it's almost the weekend. And eventually, you know, you get to, to a particular point or some things that you've started noticing that, you know, you don't want to believe uh, the truth. So you start to find legitimate reasons or excuses why that behavior may be okay in isolation. But once you start to put all of the behaviors together, uh, you recognize that there is uh, a deeper issue there. And then the next part is nobody likes having a hard conversation. So we tell ourselves that we'll have it on Saturday and then we'll, uh, he's been okay for a week, so we'll hold off again and something will go wrong and you know, well, next time I'll say it. And, you know, eventually another year down the track. And, you know, we, we just, we do, we, we get too far into it. I mean, we, we get too far into it because most people won't even have these conversations when they start a relationship, not about addictions, but about how they're going to manage conflict in a relationship, what their mm-hmm. goals or identity is as a couple. Uh, and therefore, you know, the, the, the lines are ambiguous from the start, let alone when you get into emotional states that people don't want to confront. It's, it, it makes it even more difficult. So challenging. Um and I think as well, when you're having that, the mental gymnastics of, well, it's kind of okay, or that's okay-ish, or oh, they've been okay for a few days, I think then extending on that is, you know, more specifically thinking about alcohol, gambling, and some drugs, it's socially acceptable. So then there's the comparison of, and, you know, especially in countries like Australia, alcohol and gambling is, it's in the DNA of the country. It is so, it is celebrated, it's accepted, and it's almost abnormal if you don't do it. Um, so thinking about you're comparing, well, so-and-so seems like a good person and they do that, so it must be okay. Um, and then other people's discomfort when you're raising a concern because then it might lead to having to have a hard conversation with themselves. So I think the extra impact of society and how we accept certain behaviours as a standpoint anyway yeah, I mean, it provides an easy, easier mask for a longer period of time, right? If you're doing something that everybody else is doing, you can quite easily, you know, fob it off as just something that everybody else is doing. Um, and and you know, it's very difficult if you if you have a, a partner that's 
that's battling some of these things and, and you want to raise it with them and they don't feel like it's a problem yet. They might not have got to that point where, you know, where they're able to recognize or see it themselves. And, you know, that, that's a, that's a very difficult place to be. I imagine, um, you know, for a, you know, for somebody who's supporting somebody with an addiction, when, when you know, or you can see something and, and, and they can't, but, you know, I, I think that everybody ultimately has to be bear responsibility for their own decisions and as troubling as it might be um you know people need to make conscious decisions about how how they want to live their relationships whether they're the addicted person or the person supporting or living with somebody with an addiction um we're all responsible for our own decisions whether that's staying going talking about it not talking about it um supporting not supporting it really doesn't matter, um, but you know we all have that responsibility. So, you know, it's easy to fob it off as well. Everybody's doing it, but if it's affecting you on either side, uh, then it's incumbent on you to take some responsibility for how you're going to uh, manage it or how you're going to deal with it. How hard is it to take responsibility? Well, nobody wants, no, I've said this a million <laughs> times, nobody wants to be responsible for their own pain. Nobody does, right? It just, it's just, there's nothing truer, right? Nobody wants to be the one to blame no, in, in their own circumstances. So mm-hmm. you will go through, you know, it's the stress of my work. It's my boss. It's my partner, my ex-partner, my kids, uh, my finances, um, the hours I have to work, you, you, you know, the person who did something to me in high school, um, my parents, you, you, you'll go through all of those, right? Typically, you, you'll try your best to figure out that it's somebody else's fault because you don't want to be responsible for your own pain. And, um, you know, I get that. Uh, you know, I live that for, for a hell of a long time. And, you know, if, if, if I can be, you know, confrontational on I suppose on this podcast who is talking about um, you know we're talking about the people living with somebody with addiction or, or supporting someone with addiction the same is true on that side as well right people don't want to be responsible for their own pain of making the choice to stay with this person or to marry this person or live with this person or um, that, that that they have some agency in where where their lives are going. It's very easy to blame the person with addiction for all your misery or your mm-hmm. sadness or your breakdown. But, you know, at, at any stage in the relationship, you can choose to do something differently, right? I'm not going to say you can choose to leave, but you can no. choose to do something differently. And uh, again, it's probably controversial that that I've spoken about that I, I think all mental health is self-made. Um you know, I, I put that with a caveat that I'm sure and I know that there are, um, you know, percentages of, of people who have um, genuine chemical issues. But, you know, I battled depression for 10 years and I only battled it for 10 years because on day one, I didn't do something. Right. So every day after day one became my fault. Um, that, that was self-made after day one. Maybe day one wasn't my fault, but day two and onwards uh, becomes my responsibility. and. You know, I, I can blame working 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. I can blame always being on call. I can blame, you know, traumas that happen in my life. But at the end of the day, after day one, 
I now have the responsibility to do something and looking elsewhere to push that responsibility does nothing to help me move forward. And, and so whether it's your fault or not, if you're going to bear the cost, then you have to bear the responsibility of doing something. And if you're living with somebody who's struggling, you are going to bear the cost. So you better off bear the you better bear the responsibility of doing something. Now, what that something is is you know that depends on your circumstances. But if you do nothing, um, I'm pretty sure I know where it's going to go. And if you're a person with addiction, uh, same deal, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's your fault that you ended up there, um, whether there was trauma in your life, whether something happened that led you down that path, fantastic but you're the one that's bearing the cost. So you bear the responsibility to move, uh, not anybody else. And the longer it takes you to figure that out, the more pain you're going to cause yourself and others. A hundred percent. And you know what you just said there of you give away your agency and it's of decision-making and you know, the trajectory of your own life. And it is so disempowering to do that. It's like, I can't do anything. I am powerless here. And I know we've spoken about it before, but I think it is great to bring it in today. When we speak about, and you and I both speak about this, destination happiness and people that sit on typically the loved one, my side, um, you know, I'll be happy when they stop doing the thing I'll be happy when this behavior is no longer here I'll be happy when they're one year into recovery and not only does it take away from your capacity to enjoy moments today which there are definitely good moments to be had it makes your happiness conditional on someone else doing something and makes it a destination that you are going to arrive at rather than a journey along the way and what that does as well on this side is you are waiting for someone else to do something and like you just said not taking any responsibility at all for your own life for your own choices and hey put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror Because as sure as your loved one might be trying to recover or not, as the case may be, you, and I'm talking about me, have some stuff to be addressing as well. Um, And that's when we speak about both sides needing to do their own work. Uh, Destination happiness or destination addiction um, really does, it sits in that place where you would say, I'll be happy when I just, you know, on the addicted side, I just, once I stop this, I'll be fine. Once this happens, I'll be fine. Even, you know, I'll stop drinking when I get the promotion because then I won't be stressed or, you know, any of these things that we're, we're looking towards and even, even moving into addiction, um, alcohol or, or gambling or drugs is typically, um, it's, it's an addiction to escape. It's not really an addiction to alcohol or an addiction to gambling. It's an addiction to, you know, putting off um, uh, dealing with something in, inside your own mind, but you know, it's 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 escaping from something or, or masking something, and and therefore you're actually playing this destination game uh, when you're drinking, right? Like that's what you're um, you're you're hoping to be happy when you're hoping to to put off 
um, thinking about these things, and and hopefully they'll they'll improve over time. Um, but you know, you you almost want to look at some of those things as um, uh, you know additional benefits, right? Like if you take care of your own health and well-being and your own happiness and your partner uh, is one year sober at the same time, well, that's a bonus, right? Like that's some bonus happiness. That's not the sole happiness, right? You you know, somebody else doesn't get the opportunity to control your happiness. As much not as you want to give over the power, you know, um, that you have been giving over for however long, mm. um, nobody makes you happy or sad or angry or anything like that. That's you know, it, it's hard to come to terms with, but that's your fault, right? That's your problems. That's your yeah. expectations, not theirs. And if you set reasonable expectations and somebody breaks them, you might be sad, but then you have a choice to make then. Mm. And if you make the choice to not do anything about it, in reality, you can't then get angry when that person doesn't change their behavior or you get dealt up the same conditions time after time after time um yeah. you know one of the uh, anecdotes that i use is a, a friend of mine had messaged she flown from brisbane to Cairns and messaged a group chat you know am i entitled to be angry this four-year-old was kicking my chair the whole trip up and my my response was well if you did nothing then no you're not entitled to be angry right if, if the kid was kicking your chair and you didn't ask the parents to stop them from kicking it or tell the stewardess or, or ask the kid or, or do something, if you just sat there, then you've got no right to be angry. You made a choice to do nothing. You don't then get to fly for three hours and at the end of that be angry that nobody did anything in the three hours, right? Like that's the responsibility is on you. And and it's the same if, you, if you've got a partner with addiction and you don't do anything or say anything. And again, what you do and say is that's not the message here. I mean, that, that depends on people's circumstances. But if you don't do anything or say anything and they continue with their behavior and then you get a year down the track and now all of a sudden you're angry, in reality, you're actually angry that you didn't do anything. You're not angry that they're still doing something, right? That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to what you can control and um, you do everything that you can control and you know you let God take care of the rest. If, if it works out, great. And if it doesn't work out, great, because you took care of what you could take care of. Absolutely. And I know there's going to be people shaking their fists um, at the podcast, but it's absolutely That's fine. They can 100% email me true. Long. It is true. <laughs> Send I mean, your thoughts like to it, it, is, it is 100% it is true. true. You cannot yeah. put your happiness in someone else's pocket. That's completely an inside job. And what you're saying there as well with that anecdote of the kid kicking the back of your seat, it's like you can't complain about someone sucking the life out of you if you keep giving them the straw. Mm-hmm. You know, if Good someone, uh, if yeah, someone keeps showing up as a certain way and you keep allowing it, that is on you. Yeah. yeah and and then, that's a you know, hard, everybody... hard, hard like, place to come to of acceptance and actually and I think as well it's sometimes scary and it is a hard place to sit to realize there's actually some action that I need to take here there are decisions I need to make there are choices I need to make and when you have sat in my seat 
and being where I've been when the focus is so much on the other person and all the things they are doing or they are not doing. It is a tough pill to swallow to recognize that actually there's some stuff I need to be doing. It's that what you're saying about responsibility, taking responsibility for your side of the street. If you're not going to do that, then that's a valid choice and it's on you. I think too that, look, I also don't want to um, reduce the responsibility of the person who has the addiction in in this, right? Like that, there, there is no doubt that in my circumstance, there was things that I was doing that I shouldn't have been doing, right? That that I I should have been stronger earlier and and made better choices. And I, I completely understand that you know my decisions and actions impact people because of the way that humans are wired. They they're not uh, instinctively designed to want to be responsible for their own pain, so they'll hang around longer, right? Like I, I get that. I get that now. I didn't get it at the time. And so I understand, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't think that um, anybody should take what I'm saying to to um, almost, uh, you know, let the person with an addiction off. Um, but I Trust do know me, that no one is doing that here. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know that a lot of the people that that you work with and 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 that would listen to this podcast are more from the other side. So I suppose it's more a message for them, not. In, in the absence of giving a message the other way. But, you know, the, if you can um, st- step back far enough, what you actually see in a couple or a relationship where addiction is raising its head, you'll actually see the same behaviors on both sides. Now, typically the person with the addiction is the one who we all suggest and quite rightly needs to change right they have to stop their addiction or they have to make better choices or whatever the case may be but the person who's not addicted also has to start making better choices or coming away from what their addiction might be right they they might be addicted to being a happily married person and it's very difficult to get away from that they might be addicted to having the perfect life or the seemingly perfect mm-hmm. life outwardly, the nice house, um, you know, the, the cars, the kids are in a good school. And therefore, they're willing to sacrifice some level of their own happiness along the way until it gets too bad. And then all of a sudden we point the other way and say, well, it's all their fault. Um, you know, th- there are things that both sides need to start doing and both sides need to stop doing in order for themselves to be happier or for themselves to take agency. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to do that on your own. Um, hopefully you don't. Hopefully everybody has these conversations early enough and and you work your way through it. But unfortunately, that's not the reality. And And it may be an acceptance that needs to happen is that you know, I'm going to have to go my own way here, not necessarily by way of separating, but I'm going to have to make good choices for me. And Mm. if person X decides to come along for the ride, great. But if they don't, that's great too, because I'm still making good choices for me. I could not agree more. And all the warm feels because like you have to, 
you well, if you want to be have, happy, you do. You have to if you want to be happy, and I think it's putting it in your own pocket, taking that responsibility for how you're showing up and your own actions in whatever side you are sitting on here. Like you just said, we have changes to make. Whatever side. There is not great behavior happening on both sides. There are changes to make and don't make those changes dependent on someone else doing or not doing something. You know, take responsibility for your own life and ask yourself what am I choosing and it's not I know we've we've spoken about this other times but it's not even about staying or leaving a relationship but that is your dynamic it is how can I be better in myself regardless of what the other person does and like you said if they do show up for themselves as well then amazing and then we get to choose how we go forward And if they don't, it's still good because you are better in yourself. You know, it's like it is still a win. And why would you want to be anything else? What I see a lot of is people putting off doing this, people putting off taking responsibility, having that agency, having that autonomy of their choices because they think time is on their side. They think time is just there in front of them. I think they also hope, and you know, hope's not a strategy, but <laughs> I think they also hope that things will turn around the way that they should. And and when I say the way that they should, it's usually the way that they should in my mind. Ah, oh, totally. Right. And and you know, the the interesting thing is that, you know, when describing you know, in, in, in common speak, though, from a neuroscience point of view, how people arrive at being addicted is very similar to the way that people will arrive at um, staying in in situations that are damaging to them, uh, you know, in terms of their in terms of their partner's behavior or, you know, or addictions or anything like that. It's a you know, it's a, it's a fear-based um, process. There's, you know, there's, there's an emotional side of our brain that is, you know, the, I suppose the oldest thinking part of our brain. It, it, there's a, you know, there's a program that existed before that. And then there's our emotional brain that has, has kept us alive for, you know, millions of years mm-hmm. or sustained evolution for millions of years. And then there's this little bit that's tacked onto the front that, that's our human logical thinking brain. But unfortunately, throughout most people's lives, they have led with the emotional brain, the, the fear brain, the, the, the anxiety or the stress. Um, and that has programmed them to, uh, or they program themselves to act in a particular way. And, you know, the, the brain itself doesn't understand the difference between um uh, the, the stress of running away from a saber-toothed tiger or the stress of work, it just recognizes very similar electrical patterns and says, oh, this must be the same thing. So we deal with it in the same way. And, you know, if there's usually on somebody who's an addict, as I said, they're, they're escaping from something. And, you know, quite often that's time alone in their own head because they're fearful of that, right? And and they've they've programmed themselves that when this fear arrives, this behavior takes it away. So, you know, addiction 
from a from a neuroscience point of view, is it very logical? It actually makes sense why somebody would become addicted because I have this fear and this action takes the fear away. Therefore, every time I have this fear, I do the action. Every time I have the fear, I do the action. Now, you know, that's great. I mean, you know, there's no two positive, ways. And then it's positively reinforced. It succeeded yeah, every time. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, what the emotional part of your brain is not capable of doing is extrapolating out long term. Mm. Right. So it's really just about survival in the moment. I'm in fear or scared or nervous or whatever the, the emotional feeling is right now. How do I take it away right now? And I don't care about tomorrow. Right? That that's that's literally how not literally, but that that's how the system works, right? And in order to get around that, and, and the way that I would work with people is that, you know, I call that emotional brain your big dog. That's the big dog in the fight. Um, you have to build your success while the big dog's sleeping, right? So while while your emotions are, are, are not at play, um, you know, you need to start building some skills so that when you have a fear response, uh, you can deal with it in a different, more logical way. The reason I say that, though, is because people that are living with somebody with an addiction, um, they also have the same mechanism. And whilst initially it starts off maybe something minor that we talked about before that that can be easily um, thrown away as, well, that's what everybody's doing or we're at a party, so you know that's no big deal. That's how it starts. And then eventually the fear factor kicks in of, confrontation or what are people going to think I don't, i'm embarrassed to tell people that my partner has an addiction so I, I won't recognize it myself and i cope with it by ignoring it all right like so fear comes i ignore it fear comes i ignore it fear comes i ignore it till eventually it gets so big that you can't ignore it Often the same thing happens on the addiction side. The problem gets so big that you can't ignore it. But it's it's actually the same system, right? The, the, the same system is happening inside both parties' minds. And again, for the person who is um, living with somebody with an addiction that wants to make changes, it's important to start focusing on those while your big dog's sleeping, right? Like not when you're angry at your partner. Right, you, you you're not going to be able to make the changes when you're angry because your emotional brain is still going to be dictating what you're doing, not your logical brain. And so, what we tend to do is when we're in the problem, we want to solve it. But when the problem's gone away, we don't want to talk about it because it upsets us. So we don't do the skill buildings, the skill building yeah. that we need to, well, in order to deal with the problem the next time it comes up. And it's the relief. Oh, that's not a problem anymore. Great. Yeah, yeah. Look, the I great story I, I use, um, I, I always I tell this story about Washington, D.C. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C. in winter, it always snows and, it, and the city always seems to get locked down or bogged down or whatever they want to call it. And every year they seem to be amazed like that this is happening and, and they don't have a solution for it. And And we do the same in Australia with floods and bushfires and, Every time there's a flood, we all talk about how we have to have a strategy to capture the water and push it where it needs to go and we're going to do this and that. And then as soon as the water's gone, we say, oh, there's no problem. There's no point no point doing it. And we, we, humans are like that as well, right? Like um, if you want to, we all want to deal with the problem when the problem's there and we don't want to discuss the problem when it's not there. 
Absolutely. And I think as well, if you think about it, for all the different people out there that brains work a bit differently, like you're not training for a hundred meter sprint at the start line. You're not training for a marathon at the start line over the course of the marathon. You train for it before you flex your muscles, you do all the things before you come to the start line. It is hard, so hard. And it's, we're not saying it's not hard. No, no, yeah, it's, it's not easy. Saying, I mean, you're going against millions of years of evolution, right? You've, oh, hundred percent. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy, and all these things that we've evolved with over time, the last few years, it has been to keep us, you know, potentially safe from the fear, from that, you yep. know, the tiger. And what I ask people to contemplate in themselves does this serve me yeah does this serve me and if you are thinking actually no it doesn't what am I choosing and we're not saying as well go and radically change your life tomorrow it's what can I choose today and like you were saying before around couples and we get together like typically we don't have these big important conversations what are our shared values our goals what do we want for our lives where do we see this going and how do we deal with tricky stuff when it comes up if you are in a situation now no matter what it is and you're asking yourself does this serve me and you're thinking actually it doesn't you know what's one small choice you can make today that is going to help you get closer to the life you want for yourself and even if you rewind that a little bit what do I want for my life just having that thought because we can come so far heading in the wrong direction that we have completely lost sight of what we wanted for our life not many people will do that work right very few people will do any work on understanding who they are uh, they will just um, continue on down a, a path that society delivers to them, you know, that that um, I, I should be happily married. I should have these kids. I, we should dress a certain way. I should have this job. I should stay in this job. I should try and get promoted. I should buy a bigger house. Mm. You know, all of these things might be great things and it might be, it might be what you want. But, um, you know, in the absence of a conscious identity, we're all a victim of circumstance, a victim of conditioning, and a victim of comfort, which means we're all at the whim of external validation, right? This is how somebody will think of me. I can't do that because of, of whatever reason somebody else is, is imparting on me, or pe- my parents expect me to be this, or my partner expects me to be that, or my friends uh, you know, couldn't bear to see me like this. And we, we we end up in those circumstances because we don't ever explore who we are as people, what are our values, what are our beliefs. And it's almost impossible to determine what you want with any level of clarity unless you can figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, because typically, if you don't know who you are, what you want is probably something that society has dealt to you, not you've decided for yourself. Now, it might be close. You might get lucky, right? And some of the things might be close to what you want. And close enough that you never have to really worry about it. Um, but you know, if you're in a relationship 
right now where you feel like something is off, maybe the first step to take is to ask yourself, who am I? And then what do I want? And would this person or how would this person show up? Um, you know, and it's a, it's a task that I do with a lot of people I work with. We'll do, you know, values and beliefs and identity. And then I ask them to, you know, to review and reflect on those before they walk in the door and say, well, this person is walking in the door right now. This person is walking into their job right now. This person is walking into the gym right now. And, and it changes the way that you act and you, and you see things. I mean, if you're a person who um, uh, values honesty and somebody is lying, then you're more likely to say, uh, excuse me, we need to talk about that because, you know, I think that's, that's not really... Uh, that's not really fair. If, you, if you're somebody who values um, security and safety uh, for your kids and you see that somebody's affecting that, then you're more likely to say, okay, we need to do something about this because it's now impacting on my values and my identity. But in the absence of that, we tend to just worry about what other people are going to think and, and we'll typically either delay acting or act in a way that doesn't serve us um, the way that we would want it to. Yes, and, you know, I speak a lot about the shame and the stigma, and I think basic human need from, you know, early evolution, we needed to be accepted by the pack for survival. Mm-hmm. Like it was unsafe to be cast out. And like, so now we've still got that kind of fundamental need to be accepted by people. And it is hard once you do do that work and realize who you are, what you stand for, what your values are, what your beliefs are, when you're a bit outside of that. But when you do it and you back yourself, you stand there and you've you've got that confidence and you can stand in the uncomfortable moments because you know who you are and you know what you stand for. Well, yeah, I mean that. that I mean that, that's the key. Once once you are completely solid on who you are and, and, and where you're going, then outside noise matters a lot less. I won't pretend like it doesn't matter at all, mm. um, but it matters a lot less. And you're also able to become a lot more selective f- of, uh, of who you're going to listen to. I mean, it's, it's true that, that, you know, we, um, you know, we desire to fit in because if you don't fit in, um, you know, in the past that, that meant almost certain death. But the question is, what group are you trying to fit into? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you even know what group you're trying to fit into? Because there's, there is a group for you. There is a, there is a, you know, a group of people that serve your uh, values, your beliefs, and your needs. Um, chances are, though, you're not following those people on Instagram, and therefore, you're trying to live up to something um, that, uh, you know, that that's that, that you don't even value yourself. Oh my God. And how much of a relief is it when you just kick back to the curb? It feels it's just easy. It's, Life is just a lot more peaceful. I know oh, that. So peaceful. And there's that book. What is it? And it's got all the F bombs in it. The subtle art the of subtle not giving art a fuck. Not giving a fuck. <laughs> and it's not about got no fucks to give about anything, but you're selective. 
And this is mm. the same thing. And other people who are on a different path, who hold different values, who hold different beliefs, amazing, right? Amazing. Good for them if that's important yeah. to them. But when you stand confidently in who you are, what you stand for, what you value, it is so, so peaceful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just easy. You don't have to spend time worrying about whether or not somebody's going to like you for what you say or do or dress mm-hmm. or buy um, or your, the decisions you make. Or, you know, you, you can be happy because you're living, uh, you know, in close alignment to who you actually are. And, yeah, the closer you get to that, um, it's, it's just the easier the easier life becomes. And you will find a group that supports that. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be very few people on this planet. And I mean, very few that have such outlandish, um, uh, such an outlandish conscious identity that nobody wants to be part of their group, right? Like, you know, don't matter, don't matter who you are. Uh, there, there are people that, um, are like you. Um, but if you don't know who you are, then you don't know who those people are or where they are or where to look for them or what to expect from them. And, um, you know, we, we, we just get stuck down this uh, treadmill of life where I started uh, when I was, you know, 16 or 18 or 20 and I made decisions and we feel like we have to be stuck to them for the rest of our lives because somebody, you know, at the PNC meeting might think that I'm a bad, you know, wife or husband. Or, yeah. You know, good luck to Joan if she feels yeah. that. Like, it doesn't really bother me. And, and what do they know? Yeah. Yeah, look, um, I've been called a lot of bad things and, and I've done a lot of, I've deserved a lot of the commentary, but but by the same token, since I've come out the other side, um, you know, I, I it doesn't make much of a difference to me anymore what people will say or think. I don't, I, I, I don't know if I cop it like I used to. I, I certainly don't look for it, so I, I wouldn't know. But it's just a more peaceful place to be when you are, you know, on a path that you've created for yourself, and that will include people that you love. And unfortunately, sometimes it it removes some people that mm-hmm. you love. But it's just an easier life because you are not second guessing any of the behaviors or thoughts that you have throughout the day. And even if you don't know you're second guessing them, there's every chance that you are. Right? That's you know, people are tired at the end of the day. You're just battling through making decisions that don't align with who you are and you know the the sooner you can get to that point of you know developing and owning who you are um the sooner you can start to um you know bring that on in your daily life yeah and i speak about um to the people in the coaching program you know like the the decisional flip-flop or the indecision flip-flop when you not sure what you stand for you don't know what to do in these situations and when you go further here and you know what you stand for you know what your values are like that is your north star you know that is what is guiding you and when you can be in it this takes effort and you've got to back yourself and it takes courage and it's not easy to you know openly kind of stand here and be authentic and be who you are what you stand for and all of those things but it feels so good and it means you probably won't realize how much 
energy is being drained from your daily life and trying to make decisions to fit in in places. And when you stop doing that, it is so, so peaceful. Well, I will say too, I mean, we've said a couple of times that it's not easy, but it is simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not easy because you're going to go against, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, or maybe a lifetime of of learned behavior. Um, but but it is actually a, a, quite a simple process if you're prepared to actually just do the process. I mean, it's, you know, there's there's guys that I, I've worked with that have, have you know, ended 10-year, 20-year addictions in a month, two months, three months, it completely changed their lives around. Mm-hmm. Um, suicidal to best lives of, you know, best best or happiest times of my life. Um, because the, the process is simple and, and, and but just, it's, it's just not easy. And so because it's not easy, we, we will typically delay it or we'll half-ass it or we'll do the start, but we won't repeat it. Um, you know, we won't lay down those uh, neural pathways. We'll just do it once and then hope that everything works out. Um, but but the process is simple um, once you get over yourself and, and really just get started into it. And, you know, it's, it, it is important that, that this is a process for everyone and, and whatever the outcome happens to be for people's relationships or, or friendships or work or anything like that, it's it's an important process for an individual to do at any stage. I mean, I, I think kids should be doing it at, at school and figuring out who they are and and what they want and and reflecting on that. And you know, you'll often find that there'll be some nuance to it over time, but it doesn't change a hell of a lot. Um, the way it shows up might change, or the way that you um, you know the definitions that you provide to it might change. But you know, who you are as a person is typically you know it's in there somewhere and, 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 you know, the goal is to try and get it out and to live that way. Right? If, you, if you get to live that way, um, you, know, you can be a lot happier with a lot less. I, I promise you that. Truly. And, you know, we are saying it is change is not easy. It is hard, but it is simple. And what I would say as well, and it takes commitment. Yeah, uh, and you know, look if if you're addicted, if you're listening to this and you think you might have a problem with addiction, or you're listening to this and you think your loved one might have a problem with addiction, there was a time when they weren't addicted, or you were in a relationship with somebody who wasn't addicted and you were you were acting differently, and it might have taken ten years for you to arrive at this point. Strangely enough, the way that you got here is exactly the same way that you get out because the only reason you got here in 10 years time was that something small happened 10 years ago and then something slightly bigger happened nine years ago and something slightly bigger happened eight years ago until eventually you got to this point. The only difference is that moving forward from here has to be done consciously. You arrive where you are subconsciously. You just kept following your footsteps in front of you. You just kept, you had the blinkers on, you're on the treadmill, you're on autopilot, and it just kept happening. It feels like it happened naturally. Like you turn around, you go, well, how did we get here? Um, so the difficult part is you have to do the next bit consciously. But the great part is if it took you 10 years to get here, it does not take you 10 years to get out. It can be 
you know, month, couple of months, three months, six months. But it certainly doesn't take the same length of time um, it takes to get in trouble than it does to get out if you're prepared to put the conscious effort in. I mean, the the pathway is exactly the same. If you If you are able to accurately track the path that you took to get yourself into trouble, you would it is the exact reverse to get out just you know or the exact same sorry start small keep going until you can't get it wrong start the next thing keep doing it until you can't get it wrong start the next thing keep doing it until you can't get it wrong and eventually you have a new identity you have a new life right you 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 don't think about gambling or drinking or your partner's problems you you've you've actually created a brand new um a brand new reality because you consciously put into action something that meant meant enough to you to start and to keep going. I think the important thing there is you. You started something for you. It's not you trying to do anything for anyone else or control someone else or deflect, defer. You start for you. It doesn't work doing it for somebody else. Um, no. I mean... It may get somebody started. It, it, it might get you over the line to get a few good weeks out, maybe a month or two months. You know, you if you don't stop this, I'm going to leave type of stuff. That will get somebody going. Um, but I can almost promise you that that won't last forever. And the longer it lasts, the more difficult it's going to be for that person because they're going to be battling against themselves, not not against you. Right, they they do want to do it for you. I'm not suggesting they don't. Um, they do want to do it. It's just that this is an irrational um, or or a maladapted brain practice, right? Like it's it's maladaptive and it and it's happening inside their brain. It's this isn't a oh hey I you know I hate my partner so I just want to make them hurt a bit more. Um, it, it's a maladapted practice and and therefore you have to find something that is inside them. I won't say more important, but you have to find something inside of them in order to be able to move them long-term. And that's the same for you as well. If you're living with somebody with an addiction, you have to find something inside you that will move you long-term um, because moving for for somebody else is, is really a short-term fix or it's enough maybe to get you going uh, until you create your own um, strong enough reason why, and you know it, it's you know a conversation that I had with my my partner after we'd separated. But the question was, how come um, you didn't love me and the kids enough? Not not mm. my kids, but but it was her kids, but our kids. Um, um, how come you didn't love me and the kids enough to change? And I said it it had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with how much I loved you. I ninety nine percent of the time that love was strong enough. But one percent of the time, um, my brain was irrational. It was like having a conversation with your three-year-old who wants ice cream at dinner time. It just—it's just not going to go well. It just—it doesn't matter how much you know the kid loves you. They just want ice cream, and that's all they can think of. And you know that that one percent of the time does all the damage. But it's that one percent of the time where it's irrelevant how much you love or care or whatever for somebody because it's it's an irrational conversation with an illogical mind. And so, again, if they don't have it inside them, um, 
it's very difficult for that to sustain for long periods of time because that 1% will show up sometimes. Um, and so they have to build strategies while the big dog's sleeping so that that 1%, when it, if it shows up, that they've actually got a dog in the fight that says, hang on a minute, let's do something a little differently. Yeah, and I think that's true for the other side as well. Like you need a strategy for things when things aren't, when things happen that aren't in your control, that 1%, when that does show up, how do you want to show up? How can you bring that to conscious and intentional and how do you want to show up? Because that is when emotions are going to be all over the shop. Um and so what is your plan there? How do you want to show up? And that's when who you are, what you stand for, your values, your North Star can show in there how you want to show up in that 1%. And, and you've got to do that work early. Like you've got to do that work now. Like when you can't do it when, when, when the emotion shows up. No. Right? Like you, you have to take the time or the, the energy. And, and look, it, it's not really something – that I'd recommend doing on your own. I mean, even me, when I did it on my own, I kind of got peripheral support, but that took, that took years trying to do it on your own, right? Mm. Like it's, um, you know, find somebody that knows how to work th- through that process with you um, so that you can get started straight away. Like this isn't a problem that you want to take three years to solve, especially if you've recognized that there's an issue. Um, but the time to have, those conversations about who you are and what you want and your North Star, um, the time is now, not not when you get into the argument and then go, oh, I better do my values. Oh, my values are X, Y, and Z. Well, there's a very good chance that they're going to be led by your emotions, not by your logic. And so, you know, take a weekend, go on a retreat, um, you know, take a Sunday afternoon, go for a walk. You know, find a place that you can reduce your emotions enough to start to explore those questions so that when things do go wrong, as they will, you have something to draw on and say, well, this is the type of person I am and this is the direction that I'm going and therefore this is how I'm going to show up. 100%. And I talk about, you know, like in that 1% time, when there's something not great going on and it's a little trash can fire in the corner of the room, you have the ability, if you know what you stand for, you know how you want to respond and you're conscious about it, you have the ability to walk over there and calmly put out the fire and then do what you need to do. If you haven't had that conversation with yourself, you don't know what you stand for, you don't have a plan, you don't know how you could respond a different way, you walk over there with your can of gas and can burn the whole house down. Absolutely. Many people burn their house down and then uh, want to look to somebody else to, yeah. you know, as to the reason why. And Wasn't me. You know, yeah, there's, there's always, you know, there's always multiple parties involved, but the only thing I know to be true is that you can't change unless you change. And yeah. It's just, you know, again, whether or not, you know, if, at some stage, if you're living with somebody with addiction, you have to ask the question that what will make you happy? And it might suck, but you've got to make a choice, right? Like you, you can either stick with what you've got or you can make some different decisions and, you know, take some level of control for your own 
um, your own happiness or your own life or where you're going, even if that's not a you know a place that it's, it's palatable at the time, right? It might be it might be hard. You might have to go backwards to go forwards, but you start to have to start to have a think about where do I want to be in six months' time, in six years' time, maybe in sixty years' time if you're young enough. But um, and say, all right, well, what's it going to cost me now um, in order to get to that place and you know, start to make some of those choices. Absolutely. And I think even if for now, and this is what I invite some people to think about, this is, you know, this is in all the gray. There's so much gray here and you can choose something for now because you can make a different choice at any time. It is the act of bringing some consciousness to it. Really ask yourself, what choice am I making today? Hmm. And sit, if it feels weird in your body, sit with it. Get curious. Why does that feel like if you say I'm choosing X, Y, Z, and that comes up in some strong feeling somewhere, sit with it. You know, what am I choosing today? It doesn't have to be the same thing that you choose tomorrow or next week, but bringing some attention to the fact you are making a choice, whether you want to really acknowledge it or not. And if you're going to do that, make it intentional. Well, no choice is a choice also. No so choice is a choice. If you're, if you're doing nothing, you're still making a choice. You're still and so 100%. If you're going to be making a choice, you might as well make a conscious one. Absolutely. And you know, even just by practicing the art of making conscious choices, uh, eventually you will get to a place where that becomes second nature and, you know, chances are you'll make better ones. The more conscious your choices are, the better they're typically going to be. Absolutely. And I think on that note, it's a good place to end our chat today and we both have a lot more to say so no doubt we will have a regular Amanda and Gary spot on the podcast thank you so much for coming on and chatting where can people find you if they would like to reach out for some Gary support yeah the easiest place uh, is garyfay.com um, and then I've got uh, Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn there um, or strongmend which is uh, m-e-n-d.com um, which is my my uh, business that uh, works with counseling and coaching uh, supporting some of these people that we've we've spoken about and uh, I think if you google me you'll, something will come up yeah. that, uh, that's probably I'll, clickable I'll put all the details in the show notes there Thank you so much, Gary, for your time. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. And we will chat soon. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you for joining me here at Addiction Makes 3, the podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. I would sincerely appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast as it helps others find it. And if you'd like to get in touch with me with thoughts, feedback, or queries, you can send an email. And if you would like to know more about working with me, the details can be found in the show notes. Thanks for staying kind, and I'll speak to you soon.